So uh, today's scripture is from Luke 2, 1 through 21. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Please welcome today's speaker, Chris Meekins. My guess is that many of you have heard the Christmas story before, the one that was just read to you. Uh, you've been to church during Christmas time, or maybe you even heard Linus explain it to Charlie Brown uh, in the cartoon, the Christmas cartoon. And for some of us, these are familiar words that remind us of happy times, happy Christmases, the exchanging of presents, singing of carols, spending time with family. For other people, it's harder. These familiar words uh, remind us of difficult things, unmet expectations, maybe financial challenges. Maybe you think of the faces uh, who are no longer with us this Christmas. But no matter what conjures up in your mind for those words, no matter what you feel or what it uh, helps you to remember during Christmas, the fact remains that the first Christmas was absolutely shocking, completely and utterly shocking. And even though the story might be familiar, it was shocking. And here's what's shocking about Christmas. I'm going to give you three things. Three things that were shocking about Christmas. First, when we read this story about Christmas, the first shocking thing we see is that God came down. God came down. Think about that for a, se Think about that for a second. What Christmas is all about is that the creator of the universe chose to come down and enter into the mess of humanity just to be near to us. And if you really want to wrestle with this, it really doesn't make any sense. Why would someone so big, so powerful, all the power at his fingertips, do something that would make him so small and frail and weak? What would motivate a God 
to do so something so shocking as to come down and become one of us. I recently heard a story uh, about Mary. Uh, that was the person's name in the story. It's just a coincidence, but Mary and Steve. Uh, and it's a story that took place during the COVID lockdown. And ironically, uh, like I said, the, the person's name was Mary, and she was married to her husband, Steve. And Steve had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's about seven years earlier. And Steve was now living in a senior care facility. And every single day, Mary would go to that senior care facility and help her husband, Steve. And every night, she would help Steve get ready for bed and put him to bed. Then the COVID-19 lockdowns were put in place. And all visitors were restricted from the senior care facility. And maybe you recall some of those pictures in the news where there would be like a window and there would be on the other side of the window just trying to do what they can to connect with their loved one on the other side of the window. All, all people, so there'd be people, there's these, you know, these videos and they're peeking in and they're just trying to catch a glimpse, trying to do what they can to encourage these people that were left alone, confused. And as the, uh, and that's what Mary did. And as the lockdown grew, as the lockdown went on and on, it went from a few days to a few weeks to a few months, Mary grew more concerned about Steve's isolation and how he must be feeling. And the, like I said, those days turned into weeks and months. And just when Mary's desperation couldn't reach a higher point, a higher peak, she actually found out about a job as a dishwasher in the senior care facility. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, when you're retired, I don't know that washing dishes for eight hours a day is on your list of things to do. But for Mary, this was an answer to prayer, because if she was able to get this job, then she could be near Steve. So Mary applied for the job, not because she needed the money, because she wanted to be close to Steve. And she wanted to sacrifice and make space in her life so she could be close to Steve. She was so desperate to be with Steve. So, so much in her soul wanted to do everything possible just to be close to Steve, to take care of the person that she loved the most in this world. And that's exactly what she did. She took the job. And I think about that story because that's exactly what God did. It's love like that that explains why God came down that God was so compelled, so driven, so desperate to be with you and me that he would do anything to get across his love for you and for me. And that's what he did. He became a human to draw close to us. Uh, and that's, he was even willing to enter into the mess of humanity with all its problems, all its issues, just to be close to us. Uh, author Ann Voskamp explains it this way. Um, God throws open the door of this world and enters as a baby as the most vulnerable imaginable because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God that wanted such intimacy with us, that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender that we could touch so fragile, that we could break him so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be hurt? Only the one who loves you to death. God becoming human uh, is shocking. Uh, another way that Jesus uh, shocked the world here. Uh, 
let me ask you a question. If you had big news to get out, how would you do it? Maybe you would run down to the local TV station and say, hey, can we get this on the news? Maybe you would tweet about it. Uh, maybe, you have, uh, maybe you paid for some followers on Instagram uh, and you could get the message out to your people. Um, maybe you go on a podcast. Who has a big podcast these days? Uh, you go on a podcast, you get the word out about it. But unlike what you and I might do to get the word out about something that's important to us, God announces his big news quite differently. And as he announces it differently, we actually get a sense of why it's shocking. Uh, God had the biggest news of all time. He was sending himself down in human form, so what does he do? He doesn't seek out kings and queens. He doesn't seek out Instagram influencer, and he didn't even seek out the Kelsey brothers. What he did, what he did is he went to the fields of Bethlehem, and he found some shepherds who were tending sheep at night. These weren't even the day shift people. They were the graveyard shift. This little rural village, if Rome had a map of the places they've conquered, Bethlehem wouldn't have even showed up on the map. That's how small and insignificant it was. And God went to these shepherds, and they become the first people that hear about the good news of Jesus becoming a human being. And here's why this is shocking. In the first century, Judean shepherds were at the very bottom of society's uh, power structure. Nobody really thought of them as very much. Being a shepherd wasn't easy. It was long hours. It was difficult work. Uh, it, it, would, it would start early in the day and it would go late into the night. And the reputation of shepherds wasn't any better either. These were brawlers. These were fighters. Uh, they were uneducated people. And in fact, most shepherds in ancient Israel weren't even allowed into the temple because they smelled so bad. Or they were considered ceremonially unclean because they worked with animals. But I want you to get this. And this is why this is important. That is exactly who God comes to first to share his good news. This is shocking because we see that God became accessible. God became accessible to every single one of us. Author and justice advocate Daniel Strickland, uh, who preaches uh, often down the street from us, so you should go hear her there. But uh, she, she writes this, the fact that God sent a whole host of angels to the shepherds who announced the birth of Jesus tells us that God goes out of his way to get in the way of those who are most excluded. And I love that because this is good news for people like you and me, because in the shepherd's story, what we see, what we uncover, is that God actually includes the excluded. He invites the uninvited. That is who God is. And maybe you're someone that knows what it feels like to be excluded. Maybe, uh, maybe there's been times when you've been treated like a nobody oh, in a culture that puts such a high value on beauty and money and wealth and power. And maybe you felt excluded by other religious types. You felt judged by them, condemned by them. And maybe you've even excluded yourself. You're saying there would be no way that a God like this would want to include me. And this Christmas, I want to remind you that God goes out of his way to include the most excluded. Okay? 
God himself became down. God himself became accessible. And perhaps most shocking of all, when God came down, what we see is that he started to transform everything. God brought transformation. God brought transformation. And here's what happened. So after Jesus was born, he was raised and became a man. That's generally how it works. Uh, People started listening to Jesus. And what they did is they started following the teachings of Jesus. And they started to follow him as a rabbi, a teacher. And they started to live the ways that he lived. And as a result, their lives started to be transformed because they were living like Jesus. And so what, what would that mean? What can we deduce? That ultimately that they started to include the excluded. They began to invite the uninvited in. And so like him, they started transforming every place they went. The big ideas that he put forward that are found and present in the incarnation, in the birth of Jesus, started to translate into the lives of the people who started to follow him. And that goes for you too. And most scholars... When we look at what they read, most scholars would agree that Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan was the first of its kind level absolutely revolutionary. Nobody talked that way before Jesus came along. The very idea that you care for people in need is something we just assume is a reality. Uh, That was not the reality. In Western culture, our entire culture has begun to shift and is predicated on the idea that we care for those who are in need, including people we disagree with, including people who are our enemies. And so what I'd like to say is that even though in the West, especially in the United States, it's become increasingly secularized, especially in a place like Los Angeles. If you go around Los Angeles, there's not always like everyone following Jesus all the time. Uh, it, um, you, get, you get that impression. Its foundational values are still predicated on the life and teachings of Jesus. So I I say this to encourage you. Many of you uh, know people who may not believe in Jesus. They may not follow Jesus. And perhaps what they don't understand is that they're craving for justice. They're craving for equality. They're craving uh, around the belief that all people deserve dignity. It all originates in Christ Jesus. And so part of what we're doing as followers of Jesus is that we're out there in the world patiently. Let me add patiently. We're patiently helping our friends and loved ones to connect the dots. The justice and the compassion that you so deeply want to see in the world, it's actually found in Jesus. Let me give you some examples. So in the ancient world, children weren't valued that much. In fact, in Roman families, if you had a baby girl and you didn't want to keep the girl rather than having a baby son, one of the things, one of the common practices is you would march that little baby girl out into the woods, out into the forest, and you would leave that baby to die. It would not be uncommon that they would abandon baby girls to die in the forest. Yet Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 no. Let the little children come unto me. And Jesus' teaching and Jesus' treatment of children led his followers uh, to start treating children in a way that transforms societies. So you can actually read about this. Christians would often go into the forest and pick up these babies and raise them as their own or adopt them into their families and care for them. They said, no, no child should be left in the forest, they would say. And did you know that Christians, 
were the first faith to come along and, and establish what we consider now the modern-day orphanage. That was with children. Consider education for a minute. Uh, in the ancient world, education was highly prized and only for the elite. It was reserved for the elite. So Jesus comes along, this rabbi, and he uh, invites ordinary fishermen and tax collectors and people that were generally excluded, and even women. He invited them to sit at his feet and to learn. And Jesus believed that every person was made in the image of God. And what this did is the followers of Jesus took this and it fueled them and it fueled his followers. You can check out this in your history books. You can read about it. It was Jesus' followers who were the first to work towards universal literacy. I don't know if you knew that. And, uh, and hundreds of years later, you can also read about this. We see that Jesus' followers were the first to establish universities, such as Cambridge and Oxford and even Harvard. And you can look into this. Almost every American university, especially in the Ivy Leagues, that all began as Jesus-inspired efforts to love God with all of one's mind. And it's not just children, it's not just education. In the ancient world, the sick were often either left for dead or not cared for. Sick people, let's kind of put them in uh, their own little space. But Jesus comes along and he demonstrates compassion to the sick, not something that was commonly done. And so we see that he healed the blind, he healed the paralyzed, he would lay hands on lepers, something you weren't supposed to do. And so his followers said, okay, if you're doing that, that means we need to do that. And so they followed his example. And if you look, if you look into this, they, uh, Christians were the first to establish institutions for lepers. They're also the first to be responsible for the modern day hospital. And maybe you've noticed around the United States, when you go to certain hospitals, there's like Good Samaritan, Holy Cross, Mount Sinai. These were the first places of healing, not just for the elite, but for all people. And it goes beyond that. It goes into even some, uh, like, uh, some of the ideas of the way we think. Think about virtue. Think about the value of virtue, what you think and how you define what virtue is. Virtue meant something different to the ancient world. Uh, virtue meant this. Virtue, if you were virtuous in the first century... Virtue meant rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. And people, people would look at, people would look at uh, Lupita and go, oh, she punished her enemies. And uh, she rewarded her friends. She's, she's a virtuous woman, right? <laughs> that's what they would say. Reward your friends, punish your enemies. But Jesus comes along and he goes, no, 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 Lupita. No, 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 no. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in this way, Jesus models a brand new way of reconciliation. And he calls his followers to, being, to bring healing and hope and peace, not just to your friends and not just to your frenemies, but to your enemies and to all people. Um, Jesus consistently championed the excluded. If you look at the scriptures and you look at subsequent uh, writings in the New Testament, he included so many women, something that just wasn't done at the time. And his followers took it and ran with it. And slavery is not what it was in the 1800s and 1700s in the United States. Slavery was a different thing, but slaves who were up to one-third of the world's population at the time, what would happen is they would wander into a church 
And sometimes a slave owner would wash their feet rather than beat them. Uh, one ancient text uh, describes that uh, from a bishop to some of the ch- local churches describes that uh, you're not to interrupt worship to greet a wealthy attender, uh, but you're supposed to sit on the floor and welcome people and especially welcome the poor in. Make space for the poor people in your chairs at your church. It's all shocking. There's so much that this little baby went on to do, not just in his own lifetime here on earth, but there's so much impact. Nearly everything we do and everything we touch has been transformed by the singular moment that began during Christmas, the birth of Jesus. But probably, you'll probably get the most amazing and shocking thing that Jesus can do, can do, can do. The most shocking thing of all is that Jesus is the only one who can transform the human heart. Let me just say something personal to you. God came down for you. God became accessible to you. God brought transformation for you. And so let me ask you a personal question. What if? What if this Christmas is about you? What if this Christmas is for you? And as we close today, I want to challenge you with this. This Christmas, we discover the ways that God can transform our heart. And God can transform the hearts of the people that you love the most. And this Christmas, we must remember and celebrate the reality that God came down, that he became accessible, and that he is here. He is still here with us, and he desires to transform you and me. Amen? Amen. Why don't we all stand?